What up, what up, Meepsters? This is Ryan Rainbro, and if you're hearing this, that means you're about to listen to one of the 99 free episodes of the Meep Meep podcast available wherever you cast pods. But keep in mind that there are new and unreleased episodes of the show on patreon.com slash meetmeetpod. So you'll want to sign up there to hear future episodes and also other side projects like Choo Choo, the show about soundtracks and contribute suggestions for future episodes as well. Will I listen to your suggestion? <laughs> There's only one way to find out. Patreon.com slash meetmeetpod. Bye! Welcome to Meet Meet, the Roadrunner podcast, where we go through the albums of Roadrunner Records with the artists who made them and the musicians they influenced. Let's roll! What up, what up, Meepsters, and welcome to the Funeral of Pod, an exploration of albums released on Ferret Records that were distributed by Roadrunner Records. Today we're talking about the 2004 album Rebirth of Tragedy by 12 Tribes, and Rebirth of Tragedy is, in many ways, a rebirth for the band themselves. After spending the better part of two years writing and shopping songs that would end up here, and briefly changing their name to Prodigal Zoo in 2003, they shifted a few key members and re-emerged with an album that tops everything they had done before it. A strong infusion of melody into their songs without sacrificing heaviness or chaos. Those are the strengths here. With introspective and uh, outrospective lyrics delivered by a variety of vocal styles, the band really did the most with what they had. But that brings us to the tragedy that they're not still a band today and probably not given the adulation they deserve for this incredible album. So vocalist Adam Jackson took the time to run through the tribal customs with me that led to these songs existing and finally answer the age-old question. Did they name this record after the Vision of Disorder song? No, no, I think that was serendipitous because at that time I was actually reading Frederick Nietzsche, The Birth of Tragedy, the book. And upon reading that, you know, it was kind of like in this stage of, you know, lightly touching nihilism and looking at different philosophies and, and also my own kind of like personal seeking and trying to understand, you know, how to come from a background of Catholicism and stuff. So I was reading, reading heavily. And when I, when I read the book, The Birth of Tragedy, I was like, oh, this is the rebirth. So it was kind of in my own personal rebirth at that time. Man, that record imprint, um, that's, a, that's one of the top 10 all time, for sure. For hardcore and metal at that particular time, like in that time capsule, um, for sure, VOD is, is up there for me. Were there other Roadrunner bands or, or albums that uh, were really inspirational to you at that time? Uh, Life of Agony was probably the first Roadrunner band that I was like, oh, like, what's this label? Because prior to that, I was listening to mostly like independent underground labels listen to like chokehold seven inch like nobody knew who who put that out you know right. it was like i'm like you know and listening to and then victory records and and then i kind of came more into the understanding of labels and like who's on what you know that was really i was 13 when i was into punk rock music my brother took me to my first ever hardcore show where i was like oh shit like this is a thing i saw a guy you know singing on stage this local band called four child and i was like i want to do that and i was 13 and so i think the next week i started a band uh with with matt tackett who was uh one of the he was our bass player on the rebirth of tragedy but he was originally our guitar player so i mean rebirth of tragedy comes out in 2004 we're speaking now in 2022 when's the last wow. time that you even thought about this record is this something Bro, that you think i about listened often? i listened to the album this morning because of this interview and bro, I love these records. Yes, a hundred percent. I have my own metal mix that I work out to that I hit the punching bag to, and uh, definitely Twelve Tribes is on my own personal metal metal mix. And uh, I think occasionally I'll just go back and listen to the album all the way through, um, other, other than having those songs like on random playlists. But um, yeah, man, I'm a fan of the I'm a fan of the genre of the time of of all of the bands collectively that inspired us and. Um, I think those records hold up, man. I really think they do. That's actually my biggest point with uh, with 
the two that, you know, when I talk about 12 tribes, I'm thinking of rebirth of tragedy, Midwest pandemic. I know that things exist before, (laughs) (laughs) but they, their legacy aged beautifully. There's nothing that sounds embarrassed. There's nothing you should be embarrassed of on here. You know what I mean? Musically, it doesn't sound super dated. Uh, If anything, I think it would be more popular now than it was back then because you're in that mosh era where you didn't have breakdowns and stuff. So it wasn't as received as well as maybe it would have been now. And I do think that that's, it's an album that absolutely holds up. You listen to it now and there's nothing about it where you're like, oh, well, that's, you know, 2004. Like I wouldn't have done that maybe or said that or whatever. It's uh, it's such yeah. a cool thing. Thank you. That means a lot. I, th- I think um, for better or worse, right? Because when we were writing that, I think we were even a little ahead of our time um, because we, we were like, oh, cool. Everybody's doing this chuggy, like mosh riff stuff. Let's fucking write a rock and roll album with all kinds of riffs in it. And just like, let's see what that is. And, you know, our drummer, Shane and our guitar player, Kevin, they were all into polyrhythms and Meshuggah was a huge influence just to show us what was possible. Like, Oh, there's something else here. So a lot of our songs were written in seven, eighth time signatures. And we were, we were experimenting um, because at that time I felt like all the other bands kind of did sound similar. And you know, for that reason, largely, I think 12 Tribes was considered a band's band. You know, we like we toured with the best of the best for the time. Kill Switch, Lamb of God, Shadows Fall, all these bands, Hatebreed, Unearth, Poison the Well, like I said, uh, we were close with all those bands. Yet, I don't think we quite connected with the audience of that day. You know what I mean? And um, but it's for that reason I can listen to those records. And I'm like, yeah, like it's it's still good. It's still good to me. <laughs> no, we share that opinion. Not only that it's good, but I, that's how I kind of describe it. Then when you ever, you talk to a band of that circle that you're talking about that you were in, they're like, oh, 12 tribes. So good. You know, didn't, didn't never get their proper due. Didn't never get their proper respect. And, uh, and I mean, definitely I agree with, but it's for that reason. It was that time and place that you guys were like, okay, we're going to do something different. And sometimes yeah. it didn't connect with people like it probably would now. Um, but like you said, I mean, the thing is now you have, you can still be proud of it years later. You don't have to cringe at your, your life's work. So that's, don't get me wrong. I, I do. I for sure cringe at the eulogy albums. Um, you know, the, the first couple of 12 tribes record, there's moments where I'm like, Oh, okay. I see where we were doing the cave in thing or the converge thing, or, you know, things like that. That was, that was a very special time in music. You know, the time right before autotune before, um, Napster and all that stuff, you know, when we were really buying records, buying CDs, uh, merch and all, all this, like all of it was like so relational. It wasn't transactional like it is now. Um, and what what I really appreciated about that time in music was the camaraderie of those bands. Was like the the effort to have the dopest merch and like you know when new bands would come out with albums and looking at the cover art and reading through the lyrics, all all of that kind of energy uh, around the hardcore community, dude. It's there was nothing like it. I'm I'm so proud of what we did, what we were able to do with with what we had. Because at the end of the day, we were, you know, a band from Dayton, Ohio, playing in our basement. Our goal as a band was like to headline our local our local venue, Rebos. Like that was the goal when we first started. We we're 17 years old. You know what I mean? And and some of the things that we got to do because of 12 Tribes is just like super grateful. My first son, Noah, you know, he's seven years old. I met his mom while we were on tour with 12 tribes all those years ago. You know what I mean? And so like, for me, the band is like a gift that continues to give to this day. So at the time you're talking about, you were like kind of getting more into philosophy. And I know that's something that it seems like deeply you're into now. And also at the time, you know, that like you even mentioned, you kind of separate this era of the band from the prior era. And you guys were even going to change your name to prodigal zoo. Yeah. Um, So my questions to you would be, what do you think caused that change in your outlook on the band? And what came first, uh, Crackhead Phil saying Prodigal Zoo or the name of the band? I white people, Mexicans, yeah, Indians, Puerto Ricans, uh, Spanish people, uh, black people, white people. I like Jews, Gentiles, I like the police. Police is all right too, man. There's a prodigal zoo out there in the jungle, out here. Exactly. No, it was that name came from that day we were skateboarding downtown and we were recording 
Um, and what shifted honestly was our members, you know, hardcore bands are like revolving door of musicians, right? Every band has their story and we did too, but it was the lineup. And I'm just going to say their names right now. Uh, Andy Corpus, Matt Tackett, and myself were original members of 12 Tribes, Kevin Schindel and Shane Shook. And so when, no, when, when we came together, uh, us five, that's what shifted. It's like, oh, we were like, that was 12 Tribes. You know, we had finally found our, uh, you know, we found the unit that wanted to go forth and make some some good records. And no disrespect to any members of 12 Tribes past, uh, Alex Vernon, who's an incredible drummer. Uh, we had some amazing musicians, um, Jason Thompson, who's our bass player for a long time. But it, that was the shift, man. It was like, oh, cool. We're all committed. We all see it the same way. Let's go do it. And that's when the band actually took off. That's when we got signed to Ferret. That's when we started touring internationally. Yeah, and I think an underrated or under-articulated uh, strength of 12 Tribes is kind of that dual vocal approach of you and Kevin. Like, you guys are yeah. you know, really duetting a lot on these songs, and that makes it feel like uh, you're getting attacked from every angle in a, in a good way. And I think that's uh, incredible. And he's got, I mean, both of you have a lot of vocal range, too. You know, you, of course, do the singing and the yelling and even the, like a rap cadence sometimes. And he has different... Uh, layers to his vocals where he sounds like snap case sometimes and sometimes you know it kind of goes through different elements and i think that that makes it a very layered and textured songs that are already kind of doing so much yeah i think that was a shift too um was kevin's writing i think right before the rebirth of tragedy is when he became like the lead songwriter for for our group and kevin he was he's a prodigy of of riffs this dude would he would just record riffs on our eight track. We'd listen to them, play them back. And he was just like, so dedicated and, you know, obsessed with it. And it, that's what it really takes. I feel, you know, guys like Adam D from kill switch, they're obsessed, you know, they're, they're constantly recording and making And Kevin. Um, it was a, he was a massive part of that. Just him and I sitting and writing riffs and putting them together and making, making songs, you know, around that time. That's what I really remember about the rebirth of tragedy is we would wake up, uh, Matt and I would usually go work out and run, listen to riffs, mess around, and then get together and have band practice and, you know, put those songs together. If you listen to the first four songs, the tempo, it's like get on a treadmill because that's what literally what we were doing. You know, we were we were in that mode. We were all working out. We were running. We were like, we were really charged up. And so that record feels like that to me. It's a reminder of that time. Um, so that's that's the shift and like the separation from the previous version of Twelve Tribes. We tried to do the rename. Probably wasn't the best name. <laughs> I'm always like like literally. The reason we're a band's band too is because I was I was in, interested in pushing the edge of what was acceptable or what was cool at the time, and so even the name Twelve Tribes I don't even think resonated with the hardcore scene, although it's a dope band name. And what is a prodigal zoo? I don't even know what that means. I know, I know. A prodigal zoo is like, um, this is so funny to be to be thinking about that again. You know the story: the prodigal son returned. And it was like the con- the concept was like there's all these people who have gone out uh, into the world and they're all returning. They're all returning, but they're they're not returning home. They're returning to the concrete jungle to the zoo. And so it was like that's what he said to me, bro. And I was like, damn, it is a prodigal zoo because we're all returning to like this this life, like animals in a cage. And we were like, dude, we don't even know where we come from anymore. You know. So I was. I'm still deeply uh, interested in, uh, you know, philosophical conversations and the like. Um, But that was probably not the best band name (laughs) to shift to. I think that the name 12 tribes along with your music and image and, you know, with the, some of the uh, titles, you know, like baboon music, stuff like this. I mean, I think it all, I think it all made sense. I had, I had that romance with like, you're talking about before, like, you know, the, the album art and holding it and seeing what you guys look like and then seeing you live, it all connected. I mean, even prodigal zoo, maybe would have, it kind of sounds like a Mike Patton side project or something. Yes. But that's the thing. We were also listening to Tomahawk at that time. We were like, really, we were, we were about that, you know, and, and even 
Primus and you know um, there was this little window of time where doing something weird like that I would I would even say it's like there was a window between like at the drive-in and Mars Volta okay so we were like in, in terms of hardcore we were we were almost wanted to be like shift into that kind of going going from the eagle to the phoenix uh of mars like how at the drive-in shifted into mars vaulted we'll be back after a quick break if you love good music and good podcasts you'll love roots music rambler i'm jason falls my co-host francesca folinazzo and i talk to the singers songwriters musicians and more in americana alt country bluegrass folk blues and beyond we share our own takes on the latest news in the space and recommend new music for you to explore every episode come get to the roots of the music you love find us at rootsmusicrambler.com or go wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to roots music rambler The album as a whole feels like a complete album. It's kind of, you know, a complete thought, a, a complete body of work. Is there a central theme that you were thinking of lyrically when writing it, or is it just kind of a different things that piece together nicely? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, to be honest, we wrote that record over years. You know, there was a there was a gap between our EP that was on eulogy called Instruments. And I guess the the overall theme was relationships, um, truly. Um it's kind of like my personal relationships, my relationship to the outside world, um, my relationship uh, to religion, relation, you know, like it, truly it's a, it's a, a 20 year old man, like understanding what this world is. If I were to think, you know, when I listen back to those lyrics, there are some mantras that just ring out for me and they ring out to being true. And even like, so the first track, like post replica, the end of it. You know, mass media armed to the teeth, this truth to burn in a war in the streets. And think about what think about what time that was. That was right. That was after 9/11, right? So the same kind of stuff that's happening right now. Like when they look back at the history of of America like hopefully it's not this way but unfortunately they'll look back and they'll go oh that was like the beginning of the decline of an empire and so i was writing a record from the perspective of a 20 year old young man in the decline of an empire and and i'm saying like the beginning of that song it's been said that progress is the promise of annihilation that's the first line of the song and i'm like oh shit this is this is where we're living out here in a prodigal zoo <laughs> you know, uh, you know, so like that was my perspective on the record. And then and then what happened from there is like, you know, there was heartbreak. I had an eight-year relationship that ended just around the time of that record and when we started touring. So I was like my high school sweetheart and into college and all that. And so I was writing a lot from the perspective of of that heartbreak and of that first real heartbreak and of the first like real loss of love. So tracks like Venus Complex came in as well. And, and there's mantras in there, you know, if I could have it all, it wouldn't be enough if I had it all without you, you know? So when I was writing, that's, it was just literally what I was feeling at the time. And it wasn't like to be really, to be really clear when I, when I was screaming that it felt good. It felt so good. Like to get it out. And so like, it's like a real release. used to always say to me and obviously to other metal singers oh you're so calm like i wouldn't think you would sing metal or scream like that it's like well i'm getting it out i go to band practice two or three times a week and i'm getting it out and it was like a very cathartic uh, artistic way of expression expressing the pain of life and people go through it all the time right so this is my version of of healing this is my version of transmutation uh through into music and 
I would say like within that album, even though it's a complete piece, there's no like, there's no aha moment. There's no point where I figured it out. It was just, it was just pure expression of that time. And that's what I really relate to when I, when I go back and listen and I'm like, oh man, I remember that kid. I remember that dude who was writing from that place about that heartbreak. Yeah, I think that that's a big point of the album, too, is your vocals are very like emotive. You know, they're not just a, a vocal exercise that you're doing. You have a great singing voice, but also like I can feel mm, that what you're you. saying you mean, you know, and that that makes it a better experience for me because now I mean it when I'm saying it back to you. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Was there a first song that you guys wrote for this album that was an aha moment as far as the yep. band? Okay. Yep. It was the train bridge. We made a demo. The first two tracks were The Train Bridge and um, Backburner. So we wrote The Train Bridge and Backburner were the first two songs we wrote. We recorded a demo. We sent it to Carl and we sent it to Victory. We sent it to everybody. Um, but the story, the story that I heard goes, um, Nora was on tour and uh, Portland, Matt, was had this mix on and he had our two songs in them like on a six disc cd changer that's how it used to be right he was rich touring yeah right (laughs) touring in a a van with a six disc changer and the disc would come around and he was like who's that band is that 12 tribes i gotta sign them and so we got signed literally off of those two songs it was baboon music and backburner but the train bridge was the first song that we wrote for the album oh like there's there's a time signature piece, but there was also and Kevin would have to speak to this, but there was like a a particular like uh, chord progression that he found that really gave us our sound. Like the song "Baboon Music" and "Post Replica," those it, it kind of has this like I, I don't even know how to describe it. There's like a there's a little more groove to it, but it's also it's also um, minory, but it grooves. You know, it, it was groovy, minory, heavy. And when we, when we locked in on that sound, we were like, that's, that's, again, that was the shift for us. And you got signed off of a 15 passenger DJ. <laughs> well, that's how it was back then, right? That's sick. Yeah. Those first two songs, Post Replica and Baboon music flow so well into each other. They kind of feel like one piece of music yeah. that's uh, divided. You know, I can't listen to one without the other, which uh, I think is another cool part. I mean, the album just, it, it's something I have to listen to start to finish, which I think is a, a strength. And uh, like you said, it has that that like kind of bounce to it, you know, as well as being mm-hmm. um, its own unique time signature. But the train bridge is interesting because that's like every time I ever saw 12 tribes, that's the closer. Yeah, it was. Yeah. I always felt like that was a good uh, climax to the to the set and also kind of has like that fake out breakdown. So the kids that were there to moss, they were like, OK, yes. it's our time. Yes, exactly. Are there songs on this album that you never played live? From this album, I don't think so. I think we threw just about everything we could into it. Um, yeah, just just kind of like thinking back on that. <clears throat> but we had a whole album after Midwest Pandemic that we didn't get to make, and that's that's probably my one thing where I'm like, oh, I think that that, that next that third album from us was going to be that one. You know, there's always kind of that thought in the back of my mind. Later, uh, when we were headlining and. You know, we really did well in Europe as, as much of a trope as that is to say, like we were big in Europe, you know, <laughs> we did well. And when we would when we would headline our own shows over there, um, we got to display kind of like more of what we did. And then even we would even uh, caught, like do things like cut certain songs short and go into other pieces. Venus Complex, you mentioned before, one of my favorite songs of all time. I mean, by far. Yeah. If, and uh, it means a lot to me, but I feel like I have my own meaning that I put on it. Can my tiny little beating heart ever love again? You know, my there's literally a lyric in that song. Without you, my heart is the rising sun over abandoned skies. I mean, li- li- literally, I'm like in the depths of my feelings <laughs> writing this. And it was important. It was important to me. I felt like, you know, at the time I used to say like, life is complex. Human beings are complex. Love is complex. And I'm going to write about it in a complex way. I know everybody else is writing all these cookie cutter lyrics and, you know, roses are red, violets are blue type of shit, but I'm going to speak about it in the most complex way I can. And that's literally Venus complex. This is about my own uh, like 
understanding of love, my own challenges with love. And it starts out hammers of our destiny smash us like collisions of planets. Like, holy, that's how big I took it. Like the, you know, the hammers of our destiny, we're destined to meet and they fucking smash us like the collision of planets. You know how detrimental that is. You know how fucking chaotic that would be the collision of planets. That's how I took it. That's how I took a eight year relationship ending. This is how I transmuted the pain of what I felt is by writing about it in a massive way like that. And the next line is fragile legs march to chaotic distances, you know, um, inching towards the end of our love as we know it. It's like, I'm fucking walking through the desert knowing it's over, you know, that's, so that's what it meant to me. Like this was, it was that big, it was that heavy. And Kevin wrote that riff in the beginning and it just made sense. It just made sense. And a lot of the times I would write um, just like many vocalists, Kevin would give me a riff of little vocal pattern emerges. And then the words come out of that vocal pattern that I'm saying, I, I would say that that song was largely like that. We, we, I wrote that. I remember writing those words. I was in the basement. They were jamming. I was over kneeling down, writing in a notebook, like how I would do it. And just like words are coming as, as like sounds are coming, you know what I mean? And, and then I would go back and clean it up. And that's, so that's pretty much how I would write lyrics. If I could have it all, it wouldn't be enough. If I had it all without you, I fucking meant that. That's what people relate to because when you're going through it, that's how it feels. Carl and shout out to, to Carl from, from ferret. An awesome dude treated our band so fucking well, just to be real and like shouting him out and the whole team. And uh, he got it tattooed on his collarbone. If I could have it all, it wouldn't be enough if I had it all without you. And he showed that to me. And I was like, that was, that was uh, right around the time the record came out. I was just like, oh, shit, I hope this record does well. <laughs> but it's a, it's a badass line to get tattooed. It's hard. Well, the, the going back to you talking about, you know, at this time, you guys are like on the treadmill getting fit. I mean, you know, those are heavy poetic lyrics, but I have you who looks cool as hell and ripped. So I'm like, okay, well, he's not like a wuss. You know what I mean? Like, this is cool. Like versus, I don't know. It's not, it doesn't feel like you're reading poetry. It feels like you almost doing slam poetry. Maybe like, you know, it's aggressive. So it's, it, yeah, it, I, I, mean, I was always writing poetry. I really was. And then I just, I just applied it to hardcore music. Listen, I was in a band called setback, a straight edge, hardcore band. I wrote shitty lyrics before I wrote like straight edge songs before that were corny. And I know that I, kn- I know what that is. And I appreciate that too, for what it's worth. But at this time with that rebirth, the rebirth that we were feeling of 12 tribes, I wasn't going to do that. I was like, I'm going to just write how I write, how I think, how I feel. I know it's confusing for other people, but man, this shit resonates for me. This was like, this was my art. And then people have told me over time. um, And like, and even back then, just like how much it mean, how much it meant like to read lyrics like that. And I was really inspired by, you know, it's, I feel like it's important to say um, from bloodlet Scott Angelakis, who I used to call Scott Angelicos. I thought that sounded cooler, but we got to meet them. We toured with bloodlet and his lyrics were like that to me. They were so biblical and epic. And like, I was like, damn, like I had never heard someone write like that. And then, and then even the Wu-Tang clan, the RZA and the way that they were writing. And it was like, it was their own language and it gave me permission to like, oh, I'm going to speak my language then. Like if the RZA is doing it and, and how, you know, and, and I, and I can see these other inspiring bands that were doing it. Um, it, it just made me feel empowered to do that in hardcore music. Was it a conscious effort to not include profanity? It wasn't conscious. Like I had to stop myself from cursing. I had plenty to say without like, without blowing it up like that. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Maybe that's what, where you messed up. Not even add the breakdowns Add a couple F bombs. And then we got the chain. Uh, we got the t-shirt, the live shot on the back. I know for sure. I did live. <laughs> I know there was a lot of let's fucking go. You know, there's live. You can do whatever you want. <laughs> what does, uh, what does baboon music mean? I picture a, a mother coming into jam jam practice and being like, what is this baboon music you're playing? I mean, I'll be, I'm going to be really honest here. I'm super inspired by Zach De La Roca as well. And so this was also the time imagine like evil empires out bulls on parade. Right. And then when, when we were writing these riffs, like 
Kevin's riding this roof. And and like for me, that riff is what like drew out, like I was saying, like some lyrically what I was whatever I was gonna sing about. Batman music was just like this shit is heavy and it's wild sounding. And it felt like it felt like um like it's almost like I was th- I was thinking almost like guerrilla warfare, gorillas, baboons, like holy shit. Like this is baboon music. Like that like if baboons were gonna fucking go at it, like this is the shit that they're gonna go at it with. And it had that I, w- I was hoping when we were writing that song, what would come across was just like this pure energy that was just gonna be so impactful because of the way that riff was. And there's like that there's like a little break in that song where don't know the faces but i know the names and i watch the shadows take shape this time there's no prison to keep you alive in a way and anyways it says something about separating your dreams from physical reaction Da-da-da, reaction Da-da-da, reaction like i just i just felt this energy with that song and i called it baboon music i thought it was tight <laughs> it is tight it sounds primal right <laughs> it sounds primal that's the perfect word i use that word often but it, it was a primal feeling to that version of hardcore that we, that we were playing that I felt like needed to come through or wanted to come through us. So that would, that would have been like what baboon music was. I would say that part in me was inspired by Zach De La Roca. And I'm just, give, I'm just like mentioning these all mentioning all these names in gratitude as well. Just like, these are people who largely inspired me to be me. And I'm glad that, something that I wrote would inspire you or would, would people would still be rocking it in 2022. It's pretty amazing. Yeah. It's uh, it's incredible. I mean, it's a testament to the artist artistic uh, detail that it seems like you took this really seriously. This wasn't just like, okay, we got to put out a record. Like you're saying, we, you took years, you were crafting this. You really wanted to make sure you made something you were proud of. And um, you know, just so many bands make things that maybe they're bummed out about later, which bums me out. Cause I'm normally psyched on it. I, have a company now called sacred sons it's an organization um and our work is largely geared towards brotherhood and that can look many different ways but camaraderie uh relational and physical processes it's also very challenging type of work and it's so reminiscent for me of those early days because that's what i really think about i think about brotherhood when i think about hardcore music when i think about sing-alongs like when I was screaming earth crisis lyrics with my brothers, you know what I mean? Like that, those, those are real feelings. You know what I mean? Those are real moments back in that time. We didn't like, like Brad Pitt says in fight club, we didn't have a great war, but when we were singing along to those songs, it felt like we were fucking standing for something in terms of like straight edge music or, or hardcore music in general. You know, there's something so powerful about it. I've, I, I don't think I've ever like felt it like I felt it with hardcore music. So I fucking, I fully honor it. I really, you know, I don't take it as a joke. You know, I think it was, it was like a, a really pivotal time uh, in culturally, but also musically. And then look let not, now, like rappers are, they're like <laughs> screaming on hip hop tracks and, you know, there's breakdowns in hip hop music and in country music, even, you know, I think, I think a lot of that came from the melting pot of, of the people who created the stuff at that time. Well, with that album, the rebirth of tragedy. No, no, I would. I would I, there's nothing like we, I tried it. We gave it our best shot. We had the best time recording this record. We recorded it with uh, Eric Rachel in New Jersey. Uh, we all slept in the studio. We felt like we were we were we were literally sleeping in a little like one of the booths almost. <laughs> there was like a couch. We were all sleep on the floor. But we we felt like it was the greatest thing ever that we were in a real studio recording this album you know, for ferret. And so, yeah, it was a good time. And I just have, I have good memories and we were all, we were all on it um, in terms of like musicianship and our tightness at that time. That was one thing I really took away too. When bands had, there was a time when guys didn't really know how to tune, tune their guitars, but also like what amps they were using. And our guys were like, we always, we always had a good sound live. That was one thing I was really proud of particularly like with these Marshall heads and the, and their, their cabinets and stuff, these, 
like Kevin and, and Andy, they just had like one of the, some of the best tones. And um, yeah, we took a lot of, maybe a lot of pride in, in sounding good live too. How did that uh, connection with Eric Rachel happen? Through Carl at, at Ferret. Signing to a label at that time, it was like, we're going to use their guys, the guys who, who they recommend. Um, I think we even demoed a couple tracks you know, for the record after. And he was like, no, come to, come to New Jersey and let's do it. So we ate a bunch of pierogies. We ate a bunch of uh, pizza and we recorded the, the album, you know. We'll be back after a quick break. You still loading them and heating them up with all your single shit you've been dropping. You feel me? Loading them up on. It, it only takes structure. And, and, you know, just paying attention to the climate of the game. Yeah. Nah, I mean. So do do your homies uh got a role in your in your little? You mean? Yeah, yeah. We all we all artists over here, man. I'm trying. Oh, yeah. I'm trying. I'm trying. I'm trying. I'm trying to get them on there. Yeah. Look, look, We all artists, man. We go. You feel me? We gonna have this like. Bro, me and my man, like me and my man Kai, we be like, I don't know, we play, we play with this <laughs> shit right now. I got lie, we play with this shit right now for for. Oh, I don't don't play with it. Take that shit seriously. A uh, back burner on the album is yes. just relentless. And also, kind of going back to what I was talking about before, Kevin's got a super snapcase vocal on here that oh, rocks. Yeah, it's so sick. Was that a band that was uh, an influence to you guys at that time? On Kevin, 100%. <laughs> Kevin fucking loves snapcase, dude. Oh. <laughs> I was more Earth Crisis Bloodlet. Yes, Kevin liked that case <laughs> a little bit more. But, um, you know, Kevin's an, an incredible vocalist. He's been in so many bands. I want to also shout out uh, Rattlesnake Venom Trip, who is Kevin's current band, Kevin, Matt, and Shane. So if you want to hear what musically the guys from 12 Tribes are up to, check out Rat and Rattlesnake Venom Trip, um, which is dope. They're still making good music. And, uh, yeah, I mean, Snapcase was inspiring to all of us, you know. But his his vocal he he had a band prior to Twelve Tribes that was kind of more Snapcase esque and his his voice just naturally has that. Um, but Backburner, it's a, it's a good jam. It's about like productivity and um, processes and being like a cog in a wheel. I went to school for engineering. I got an engineering job early on. Right when we got signed is when I graduated college. So I kind of was like, oh. I'm going to leave this engineering stuff behind and go tour for the next four years, which is what I did. It was the right choice. And I had seen a glimpse into like manufacturing, manufacturing plants and uh, the processes that it takes to make products. I had kind of like this, this peek behind the curtain and the work that I was doing and what I was learning in school. And I was like, Oh man, there's a, there's a detrimental aspect to this where um, people lose their souls you know, people lose their, um, who they lose a sense of self to things like productivity. And, um, I just, I just felt, felt like that that would never be, um, a place where I could really thrive. Um, so that's, that's where the, that's where the perspective of that song is coming from. Praise the new drug. Your routine is the latest trend and you're wearing your enslavement, like a prescription fashion statement. That's what it says. That's what the whole song is about. Your progress has been projected. To crash into this glass ceiling and burn. You know what I mean? Like, that's what I was feeling at the time. Like, oh, there's this, there's this machine that's happening and everybody's getting jumping in this machine and it's stripping away our dreams. It's stripping away our ability to shine, to be an individual. And what I felt like then and what I still feel like now is that this time is demanding us to be individuals, you know, not to be a cog in a wheel, not to be cookie cutter, like to stand out, to stand out for, for our beauty, for our gifts. And this is something I stand behind, you know, like don't put yourself in that fucking box, burn that fucking box, smash that fucking box and be who the fuck you are. You know what I mean? And that's, that's, that's like, like a love letter to myself. It's like dreams fall apart. The, the, the end of the song literally says dreams fall apart, reinvent. 
The last word says reinvent. So it's an optimistic song. <laughs> it's saying like, if, for me, I was like desperately telling myself, like, like, don't give up on my own dreams. Like reinvent, reinvent it right now. That the, t- the title back burner was like a part of me, like, damn, do I need to put my dreams on the back burner so that I can make money so that I can be in this society so I can, you know, this or that, this or that. There, make no illusions. There was no money in hardcore music at that time. I, we didn't expect to become rich off of it. And that's why everything we did, I'm like I'm stoked that we had the opportunity um, to travel playing, playing hardcore music like this. It's really phenomenal. And so, so that's what Backburner was about, man. I think it's an important perspective to keep online for myself um, as I continue on, on this journey of life, you know? Yeah, no, it's very profound and something that uh, is a direct line from your life then to your life now, right? I mean, you can draw a straight line from one point to the other. Are there any Absolutely. songs on here that um, that you don't relate to the lyrics anymore? That seems like you're pretty uh, aligned with pretty much anything you said back then, but you were so young. Yeah, I was young, but I was like, that's what I'm saying. I didn't say anything definitive, like this is the answer. A lot of what I'm saying on that album um, was just, was it was just raw truth coming up about the fact that I didn't know. And so that's why I can still relate to it um, in terms of listening. When I think about the song Chroma, this is another like relationship song. And I deeply, deeply remember that. I wrote that whole thing in one go. I wrote all those lyrics before any music. And you can tell if you listen to the album, it's a straight 4-4 riff. And I just told Kevin, like, hey, I wrote this kind of rappy thing. And, you know, we made the music up underneath it. really feel what I'm saying because it was like, it was genuine. It was in the moment. I wasn't trying to force anything or be something. The only things I cringe at, and it's funny, but there's moments where like, I knew I could tell I'm trying to fill a void uh, in a song by saying something. And like, I, like, I just, I remember those moments, even probably being in the studio, like, fuck, what am I going to say here? And then it stands out to me as, as ringing, not true with the rest of the lyrics. And I just did that to fit a song. But otherwise, I was just writing poetry, and authentic poetry that comes from the heart is classic. It never, it never dies. You know what I mean? And so, for that reason, I think I can look back fondly on it. And but even chroma. that line in chroma, in chroma, I say, "Everyone seems to know me better than I know myself. They have no idea, you know." And that's like, I think any freaking kid listening to that can can relate whether that's your parents, your teachers, your friends, your girlfriend, whatever it is, it's like everyone I know seems to know me better than I know myself. They have no idea. This is a, this is a statement that I can get behind <laughs> for, for that time in a young man's life, right? Does that journey to what you're doing now start on, around this time of your life or is that much later? Because it seems like these ideas are things that are, again, parallel to things you may feel now. So um, is this starting then or that it doesn't come so much later? I consider myself to be a seeker, right? A seeker of experience, a seeker of knowledge, seeker of wisdom, understanding, but, but particularly experience. You know, I've traveled the world. I sat with various plant medicines. Um, I sat in various traditional ceremonies, uh, different backgrounds, religious. Uh, you know, I just, I want to know. I have this as a part of my essence of who I am. and this type of work uh, came to me when I needed it the most, to be honest. You know, I was going through a separation um, with my wife and the mother of my first son, Noah. And this work was profound for me because it's something that I didn't find in the other places, again, was like this sense of brotherhood and a sense of like, oh, I'm not alone in what I'm feeling. Like I'm not alone in my confusion, even as an adult, or like I'm not alone in, in like, this is what's happening in my life. And at a time where, you know, because of social media and everybody's projecting these, this perfection truly and going like raising my hand and going like, Hey, uh, I'm not perfect. Shit's falling apart. I need support. 
like that was a profound moment for me because different than music and different than um, other ceremonies or rituals coming together as men and communicating like what's really going on. It, it provides accountability. It provides um, acknowledgement and, and ultimately it creates awareness through having reflections of others around us. And we need that. We absolutely need that. And like, let's get in touch with that anger in a healthy way. There's room for that in our world right now. We don't have to keep pushing it under the rug. We don't have to keep pretending like it's not happening. We know it's happening. And so how do we confront these things in a healthy way that really cause us, it calls us into integrity. Another dope band, Dwid, Integrity. Ohio. So like, <laughs> Ohio. Rep- oh, yeah, that's a great Ohio band that I was, that I was really into. Um, but calls us into integrity as a collective. We're Sacred Sons is a part of a movement just raising consciousness on our planet. You know, it's it can be as simple as that. God-shaped war. Yeah. Seems like it has a profound message as well. All these songs do, so I'm not trying to single that out any more than another. But uh, the big set opener. This is, the, this is how we kick it off at the 12 Tribes show. And another you song. open with that when you saw us? Every time. Wow. Yeah, that was the, the last song we wrote for that record. It was the very last song. Um, to be honest, when I listen to that song, that's the one that really has the closest to like verse, chorus, verse, bridge. There was a part of us in writing that that was like, well, maybe we should try to write one that could at least be like a Roadrunner kind of hit. <laughs> for that for that purpose um, like when i listen to it it sounds like that to me I can, I can hear it's it's still authentic but i can hear the part of us that was like oh let's let's write a four four times song that everybody can nod to um and it and it'll be powerful We speak in terms of a forgotten world within ourselves, brother. Look at that. The, the, a, a new war has come upon the sons of man. This is, this is literally what I was just talking about with sacred sons. And so this God-shaped war was, again, it was about like an internal conflict. It's saying, it's saying like a new war has come upon the sons of men, and we speak in terms of a forgotten world within ourselves. So yeah, that it again, it's it's just going back into like, you know, the fight's not out there. It really isn't. Your fight's not with Russia or Ukraine or ah, fucking Biden or Trump or Will or Chris Rock. It's not with any of them. Your fight is inside. Your war is with yourself. Like the people that you need to protect are the people you need to protect from you. We got to go back. Say that again. The people you need to protect. Yeah, that's true. The people people you need to protect are the ones you have to protect from yourself. I'm talking about your children. I'm talking about your beloveds, whoever you love. We hurt the ones we love. I say that that's on the next album. You know, (laughs) there's a big part that says... Is, is that the way that we should continue? And what I've come to, like I was saying, there's no answer on the rebirth of tragedy, but the answer that I've come to now is no. It is our responsibility as human beings to like do whatever we need to do for ourselves so that we are not uh, perpetrating more violence, anger, hatred on this planet. And if that means you need to stop eating animals, because that's what resonates with your soul, then do that. If that means you need to put down the drugs and alcohol that you're abusing, then do that. If that means you need to stop being emotionally, physically violent with people around you, then fucking stop. And there are tools to help. And so God-shaped war, that's so cool that you brought that because I this is probably one I, I really wouldn't have thought of, but like that is so linked to, to the same human being that I am now in the same cause. And what I came to then as a young man, when I'm, where I'm at now is that it's all within ourselves. You know what I mean? And there's so many of us that want to project it outside of ourselves, but it always starts with ourselves. And, you know, 
the the greats and the legends have have all said the same thing. You know, if you want to change the world, it starts with you. After Rebirth of Tragedy, Midwest Pandemic comes out. Yeah, we got shorter prophecy. (laughs) (laughs) Just kidding. The Midwest Pandemic, of course, is uh, khaki cargo shorts. But exactly, this album is a lot of uh, shorter songs. There are like more moshy parts. There are things, uh, certainly it's a, it's a change, not a dramatic change where it feels like a whole nother band, like from instruments to rebirth of tragedy, but right. what were things that you were trying to do on Midwest pandemic that you felt like you did need to change from rebirth of tragedy? Yeah. I mean, that's what happens. We probably were like, Oh shoot, we better put more mosh parts in because now we're touring with hate breed and unearth. You know what I mean? Like there's, there's an element of like, Oh, well, we better like, you know, in particular, uh, the the track, the second track, Muzzle Order. I mean, that's the first time we ever opened with a riff, like with double bass pedals. And probably that's when uh, Lamb of God was like really big at the same time, right? And there's no there's no escaping influence, you know, either whatever it is, Kill Switch or Lamb of God or whatever we're listening to at that time it's like oh everybody's doing the get the get the day to get the get the day and when we were we were doing that too um and so it's probably it's probably a i would what i what i really feel like mid, what happened on midwest pandemic that was a band on tour the rebirth of tragedy was a was like a band at home in their basement like in the lab making an album and midwest pandemic was written on the road from the place of like we're on stage every night so we would we would jam those on stage and so we were just trying to write more stuff that would be engaging in that way so so hence the more breakdowns and heavier and again it was you know coming from that perspective of like the the experience that i was seeing of like um of what's happening culturally to us um the Midwest pandemic, it was just that. It was like a pandemic of lethargy of, of, a, of people who have given up on their dreams of, of, of something that has become um, stale and stagnant and how we're promoting that as, as, as what it means to be a human. And so I, I think it was a, a continuation on like philosophy and theories in my own mind. Um, but musically, it was like faster, heavier, you know, we're on tour now. That's 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 quite literally like what I feel the energy of that album is. Also, there's a there's a surprising lack of bass in that recording. That's if I, if there's one thing I regret is I would love to turn the bass up on Midwest Pandemic because there's some really good bass lines and I think it's buried in the mix. And on on the Rebirth of Tragedy, the bass is like super smooth. Yeah, and it's uh. If you feel its absence and presence with the bass on on Rebirth of Tragedy, like when it comes in, you know, because there's certain parts that are just guitar, and then when the totally. bass comes in, you're like, oh, now we're yeah, now we're it's a really really full tone um, that we that we were able to get. What else on Midwest? I love that record too, man. A- again, it's like when I put that on, I don't know what it is. That's just kind of like our energy. It's like get on your bike and go, you know. And and even you know even that riff. And that, that energy, it's like we, somewhere in there, we, we kind of, you know, felt the influence of every time I die too. And all these bands that we were on tour with kind of like seeping into our, into our music as we were writing it, because we were writing it on, on the road. Are the things about Midwest pandemic that you like more than rebirth of tragedy? Yeah. Yeah. I think there's more space on the record. There's even an instrumental track, like, like five songs in. And it's, although it's like high energy, I felt like it was more mature, like some of the song structure, mature, just like musically, you know what I mean? Um, and tighter. There was a time where for, for these type of bands, it was like tightness and like who, like, especially when, when you're playing live, like how tight can you make a riff? And there's, there was such tightness on that album that I, that I really, uh, I'm really into it when I listen back to it. There was another record on the horizon. (laughs) 
And that was the one that was the one that got away for 12 tribes. We're, we were talking about playing furnace fest. So we'll see if we play it this year. We're going to do something at some point. So I look forward to the time when we can play some of those songs live again. And certainly I've got the chops for it. I'll have to see if Andy can still play some of these riffs. Some of the stuff that we wrote was like technically really challenging. And that was another part of it that that was very inspiring too. It's just like, like how, how, how much can we push the edge of our own skill sets? I would love to tell you this um, because you mentioned Kevin's voice. His, there's a lack of his voice on Midwest pandemic. And it's not because um, he, he wasn't present on it. We wrote all the stuff the same way with Kevin doing dual vocals. But when we were in the studio, he lost his voice. He was, he was going through it. He was like, he was sick. We were in the studio and he, he tried, he, we, there's a, maybe one or two tracks where his vocals are on it, but it's buried. But I did a bunch of the backup vocals, just sc- trying to scream higher um, because of that. And that was the part where I was like, Oh, I, cause I miss Kevin's voice too, you know, on that record. And that would have been, that would have been like the one thing where I'm like, Oh, we kind of missed the mark because in the end, this is what we came out with. But when we wrote it, it had this intention of having Kevin's voice more, um, embedded in it the album artwork for rebirth of tragedy can you tell me about the the concept of that did you have anything to do with uh coming up with it or was an artist kind of came up with it for you and how did that come about yep for the rebirth of tragedy the album artwork was done by uh portland by matthew hay shout out to portland at ferret um he went on to do to make the sons of nero which was like a graphic design firm and uh you know i sent him all the the lyrics i told him i was reading nietzsche i told him to make it like biblical and i guess that's what that's the way it came that's what came out i think there's a part of me that doesn't love the priest with a fly head uh in 2022 that's on the album cover like i probably would do it differently now at the time i was like oh this is sick (laughs) you know I was like, I don't, I don't, I didn't even know what it meant. Like a graphic designer. I didn't say, Hey, can you make a cover with a, a priest with a fly head on it? He, I think he read some of the stuff and was like, made this collage. And that's, that's how it came out. It actually does look super uh, at the drive-in-y though. And you mentioned that being kind of the uh, influence. So that's kind of cool. look like that, doesn't it? Like mixed media, mass media. What is your favorite moment of this time in 12 tribes in your life? I guess it, since we're talking about, the like making an album and and this album in particular, like the, my favorite like moments were writing when we're writing these songs, when we're in the basement, shout out to Kevin's parents, Andy's parents and all the basements that we've made a lot of noise in to make this record happen. Just being together and getting so like you you've played in bands when you get that riff and it hits for the very first time, no one's ever heard it except for, you know, you're just creating it in the moment. There's something so magical about that, that that is what we were chasing. Like if there was something to chase, it's like that moment where you play the perfect riff and it hits right with the lyrics and everyone's like so tight and it comes through those moments. I was, I would live for those just to be, and not even to be in the studio recording it for, for the hundredth time. I'm talking about that first time that first moment when it clicks and you just look up and everyone's smiling, like, Oh my God, we got something. And like those moments, I would say stand out to me. That's what I, that's what felt so good about being in a band is creating like co-creating something together, being stoked on it. The fact that it got us in a van and took us all around the world is a byproduct of the spark that happened. when we were just like dudes writing a song. There's something that's that's so magical and sacred about that experience that um, that's really what I that's really what I take away when I remember. Thanks so much to Adam for sharing his insight and knowledge, not only about these songs, but about his world around them. And you can keep up with Adam on the Sacred Sons podcast, which issues a new episode every week or so, and also on sacredsons.com. Get a little bit deeper into their brand of brotherhood and masculine alchemy. 
which I believe is the plot of the show Full Metal Alchemist. So if you want your soul to be attached to metal armor, which I do, then check it out. But thanks again for checking out the Meet Meat podcast and being part of our Patreon on patreon.com slash Pod. If you're not now, hey, it's never too late. It's not too late. It's never too late. We learned that from our pals at Three Days Grace. So feel free to go do that. Buy the shirt at meetmeep.bigcartel.com and check out new episodes as they come. And then check them out again after they come. But in the meantime and in between time, my name is Ryan Rainbow. This is Meet Meep. And yes, that's the best that I can come up with. Bye. <laughs>